Hey, welcome back to the MGR podcast where we talk with real people about real money and real estate. Today we got an exciting episode planned. We got Murray Massey, a fellow exit uh, realtor here with us today. We're going to be talking about a little bit of everything, a little bit about who he is, some of his goals for the future. We're going to be talking about multifamily and commercial real estate, how you can get into it, how we can set real expectations, and a little bit about uh, everything. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to get into it. We're going to have a good time today on the podcast. But uh, Murray, we want to introduce you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about uh, what you used to do, and a little bit about uh, kind of what you're what you're doing now and where you're from, and just a little bit about you. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm a, currently I'm a realtor in St. John, New Brunswick uh, with Exit Realty Specialists. Really enjoying that. It's a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Um, so Micaiah, you're an exit too, so you, you know what it's all about. But, oh yeah, yeah. And I'm focused more on the like the multifamily and commercial space. Yeah. Um, I still do residential, like there's no issue there. But my my main primary focus is on the multifamily stuff. Mm. Um, so I'm in a I guess you call it like an investing group. It's called Wealth Genius, very similar to something like Keyspire. So it's a real estate education platform as mm. well. Yeah. So there's a lot of networking that goes on there and that type of thing. And I've gone to their events, spoken at their events as well. So that's been a lot of fun. So trying to stay as involved as I can in it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so right now you're living in St. John. Have you been in St. John? Tell me a little bit about like where you were born and raised, what you, uh, ground kind of do. Yeah. A little bit of background about you. Give me a little bit of info on that. Yeah, for sure. So born and raised in St. John, New Brunswick. I've always been there, like to travel around as much as I can, but always keep coming back home for some reason. Yep. Um, I was in heavy construction previous to being a realtor. So that was, uh, I was driving trucks, doing foundations, drain tile. We did a little bit of work with septic systems and stuff like that. Kind of have a rudimentary understanding mm. of that. Um, also have my first part of my crane operators ticket as well. So yeah, yeah, pretty much anything heavy construction or construction related. Um, I did a lot of it myself too. Yeah. So yep. renovated my first home from the studs back kind of deal. And right that's actually how I got into real estate. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now is your, uh, is your family, like, have they been real estate investors or do you, how'd you kind of get into, uh, like where'd your interest in multifamily real estate investing come from? Yeah. So my, my folks have a multifamily portfolio and for those that don't know, that just basically means they have a bunch of apartment buildings. Yeah. Yep. And I've grown up with it my entire life. So they've been in the business a long, long time, many decades. And since I was a little tiny kid, my first job ever was sweeping the hallways at the apartment buildings. So yeah, no, I, that's what got me the knowledge in it as well mm. so obviously being with somebody that's like my dad who's you know been in it for that long yeah yeah i've learned a lot about it so i kind of had a bit of a leg up that way uh, yeah and then just furthered that with being a realtor and also the real estate education side of it so yeah 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 no seriously yeah so i mean <clears throat> you know as a realtor like everybody we know like all the other realtors I mean, not just all the other realtors but Realtors in a, as a whole are very different. Like everybody's different. Everybody has their own niches. Everybody has their own, you know, flavor, if I may. Um, but definitely having that kind of construction background, like you say you have, having that, um, you know, experience in multifamily, like with your your folks owning multi, yep. um, multi units, it, it really does help and it makes a big difference and it helps you to kind of narrow down your niche and it yep. gives you a leg up, like you said. So, so that's super cool. That's super cool. <laughs> now, uh, so how long have you been selling real estate for? So coming up on two years now. So it was February 2nd, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, almost two years now and it's been been awesome. Really enjoyed it. Haven't looked back at all from the construction side. It's a lot easier on the body too. You're not bouncing around in old trucks and breathing fumes all day and oh. concrete dust and everything yeah. else. Yeah, oh, all the concrete dust, yeah. Yeah. So no, it's it, it I found what I want to do yeah. and it actually blends very well. So it, 
if you know like the terms blue collar, white collar. Mm. So I never thought that it would actually blend that well, but having that prior knowledge, especially on the investing side of things, yeah. if people are looking to do like a flip, like, you know, or fix a place up value add strategy, it's, uh, it lends itself very well to it because I can speak directly to knowing, okay, this is a massive ordeal or no, that's a really mm. easy thing to fix. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's a, it positions me in a kind of a unique way, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's awesome. Now, how do you find, you know, I like to ask everybody that's on, you know, a little bit about, you know, personal and work life balance kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. How do you find like, cause no, I mean, people that aren't real estate agents or realtors or whatever, um, they never, you know, nobody's ever going to understand the life of a realtor. That's actually like we're on 24 seven kind of thing. Like we're always on, you know, it's, it's very busy. We're not always like, I mean, we're out, we're not always working. But we are always on, like if somebody oh, calls. Working, but not working. Yeah, yeah, and like your mind is always thinking like, okay, um, if a house comes up on the market and you see it, okay, wait, okay, wait, uh, is this going to work for any of my clients, any of my buyers? Like, yeah. um, or like, you're just always thinking about something in real estate. You're always thinking about something about your clients. Now, how have you found the, you know, work? I know you just got married. Yeah, but thank you very much. Awesome. Congratulations on that. Now, how have you found like um, the work-life balance there? And, um, I also know you've been with your, your wife for, for a long, long time. We, we were chatting about that yeah, before, which yeah. is super cool. Almost like middle school sweethearts basically. Yeah. Which is super cool. But how have you found like work-life balance and stuff and kind of juggling the, the busy life being a realtor and kind of being on 24 seven? Like how do you disconnect, I guess? Yeah. So I, I look at it more of like, it's not so much a job necessarily as it is a lifestyle. Mm. So it's like, even though you are technically always on, it allows me the flexibility that, you know, I can stop into her work, let's say say hi, bring her a coffee, whatever else the case might be, yep. and then go do a showing or like, so she works over on the west side of St. John. Mm. And oftentimes if I'm over west doing a showing, there's sometimes like little gaps in between showings and stuff like that. Yep. So yeah, can pop in and, and say hi to her and then go, you know, go about my business and then see her later on as well. But yep. I, I don't see it as necessarily always working. It, it's just, if you accept the fact that, you know, you may have to answer a call or a text, mm. just don't let it take over your life. So. I'm a big proponent of like scheduling things in and time blocking. And that's been a huge thing too, because I just take certain sections of time and just say, I'm not touching the real estate yep. thing. I'm going to go, you know, be with my wife and my family and that's it. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Now, do you have any, uh, do you have any like daily routines? Like, is there anything that you do like every morning? Cause I know a lot of people like whether it's meditation, gym, prayer, uh, yep. um, what are they called? Uh, what are something like mind affirmations and stuff yeah, like yeah. that yeah um you know everybody's everybody has like something um actually not everybody has something but uh, <laughs> but is there anything that you have like that you try and do like every day whether it's in the morning or evening or so like on the work side of it i have a kind of like a structured week first of all um so i'll do like we have our i guess you call it our apprentice meeting or whatever it's just a weekly meeting we have so there's that on Mondays, then our sales meeting, and then there's like a, a coaching session, I guess, on Fridays that I usually do too. Yeah. So I have a mentor, um, and I, I meet up with him too. So yeah. that's from the week side of it. So I know on certain days I'm doing certain things. Thursdays mm -hmm. I do all my follow-ups. So I go through my mm -hmm. client list, touch base with all the people I haven't necessarily spoken to. Yeah. Then on the personal side of it, you know, get up in the morning, sort of journal or, or write, whatever, you know, try and get things out of my head, Yeah. I guess. Um, go for a walk do some push-ups and whatever else. Yeah. I don't know, a little bit of exercise. Yeah. The blood moving and, yep. and go hit it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they, I heard once, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that 
if there's something that you're like working on or something that you need like ideas yeah. or you're supposed to like like think about it before you go to bed or work on it before you go to bed or something like that and then like while you're sleeping i don't know if this is true or not like if this is just made up like just tell me but um but like subconsciously your mind will like come up with ideas like while you're sleeping and like process it even more like in your sleep kind of choose then, on it yeah yeah kind of choose on it a little bit and then like in the morning like yeah like like you said like you you write down you get some pen and paper whatever it is like and then you start journaling or writing down ideas that you've kind of come up with like i got some guys i work with like um we were chatting the other day he was like you know i was thinking about you know this type of prospecting i had a dream about it i woke up at 4 a.m or 3 a.m and you know i made some notes and it was great i'm gonna start doing it you know and i was like yeah you know what i i mean you know yeah so get 24 7 we're all we're always on <laughs> yeah even in your dreams yeah but uh no it's a little what i use is a little book called the five minute journal so it starts mm-hmm. out with um i trying to remember it now <laughs> you put me on the spot yeah basically it's like what you're grateful for first yeah. three things you're grateful for three yeah. things that would make your day good yeah and it's focusing your mind on a positive yeah. aspect like not really negative stuff um and then you know kind of some goals for the day kind of deal but it breaks it down so that way it's not a whole lot to do all at once in the morning mm-hmm. but it sets your mind on positive stuff and then you know go get it i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i've also uh i'm like bad for it i some people say that you shouldn't like touch your phone like first thing in the morning and like you should like disconnect like for your first like hour or two in the morning yep. but i find like waking up grabbing my phone and like just getting right to work and like yeah. it helps me like start my day like like sometimes you know they say like oh like shut your phone off and don't pick it up because all the negative things from the world are going to be there you know and you got to respond to them and then you're just having a bad start to your day but yeah i find like I find like, I mean, it could be a bad thing, but sometimes I feel anxious if I'm not like checking it, if I'm not getting back. Cause I enjoy it. Like I enjoy, I enjoy working. I enjoy answering questions. I enjoy solving problems and, you know, working out these solutions and stuff. But so yeah, for me, it's like, I get up, check my phone, lay in bed, answer some emails and then get up, you know, get the, get the kids out of bed, make some coffee, um, relax with my wife for a bit. Yeah. And then, uh, and then eventually I, you know head out the door and just kind of have a nice, it's a slow morning. Like I'm not like, I'm not answering calls or setting appointments for 8.30, 9am. You know, I kind of set those later back in the day, but. Yeah. For me, like I, so I'm slightly different and everybody's different and goes through life yeah. differently, I guess. But I, I take one hour basically in the morning mm-hmm. and the phone stays home. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, don't touch it whatsoever and, yeah. you know, go for that walk or do the exercise or whatever. Right on. Um, and that way I, I sort of know in my head, like, okay, if I need to decompress or something's really bothering me, yeah. then, you know, I've got that hour. It's for me only. And that's it. I'm, I'm a pretty early riser anyway. So yeah. 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 Up before anybody else. And the phone's usually not going off at like, you know, five thirty or six in the morning. So I'll start texting yeah. you at that time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Keep you busy, yeah. but uh, well, you'll get a, <laughs> you'll get a response an hour after. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, shoot. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. Okay, so let's 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 dive into what the people want. You know, multifamily, commercial real estate. Um, we chat a little bit earlier about you know why you kind of got into multifamily, but what is it? What is it that you enjoy about multifamily? Now, you know, before I say this, yeah, for all of Murray's clients and all of my clients that we do residential work with, we love you. But what is it that you love about multifamily versus yeah. residential? um over residential kind of sales and stuff like that so i I think the the thing about it is 
and I don't mean to sound like unemotional by saying this, but it's a very like clinical business. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that either your numbers work or they don't work, you know, and we'll get into cap rates and all that other stuff later, but basically it's a business decision and there's not a lot of emotion involved in it. Yep. Exactly. And yeah. for one, one way or another, it's not that that's better. It's just that it's simpler, I guess, in a way. Yeah. So it's like, here's the numbers, here's the facts, here's the figures, you know, here's what it could potentially be worth later on. You factor all those things in, is it a good investment? And then it comes down to a yes or no. Yeah. That's it. There's no gray area. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I mean, some investors, sure, they might get a little bit emotional about it, but the professional investors, the guys that are doing it all the time, it's just, this works or no, it doesn't. Yeah. That's it. So. Yeah. And that's why I say like, that's why I say like, you know, like all of our residential clients, like we love you. But it's Absolutely. like, it is, it is just, it's not even like that we don't enjoy like the emotional side of res, like selling residential homes because like yep. everybody's got their memories or everybody is moving for a different reason, buying for a different reason. We love that side of the business Absolutely. and we love all our clients for that. But the multifamily stuff and the commercial stuff, like just the way that we're, we're both wired, like we're kind of the same in that it's just like, like you say, it's, it's not as emotional. It's a numbers game, you know it's everything's there. Like it's like you say, it makes sense or it doesn't. And, um, and you know, like, like you said, we can get into cap rates and stuff later, but yeah. And um, the other thing I'd add to that, just before yeah. I move on, if you don't mind, oh, yeah. is, as well as the type, like, and again, I don't mean to sound crass or anything by saying this, but it's the type of people you deal with. So yeah. business owners and business minded people. Yeah. And generally it's kind of like a, it's a bit detached, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the, the networking side of it too, something I really enjoy. So getting to meet new people and, you know, successful business owners, how can I emulate them? And then how can I turn that into helping my clients a little bit better too? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, so let's kind of go back into that. So you, you've you uh, attended a couple, um, a couple like networking events, like like you just mentioned. Yep. And tell me a little bit about uh, some of your favorite ones that you've, you've done, what, what events you've gone to and what you've kind of, gained from those and kind of what kind of relationships and stuff and why you found it's important. Yeah, for sure. So, so I, like I said, I'm part of a, a group called Wealth Genius and it's basically, they offer real estate investing education, I guess is a good way mm-hmm. to put it. And I, I don't mean to sound like I'm, you know, promoting it or whatever, like it, choose whatever you like, but it's one that I was introduced to by a friend and he's had really great success with it. He's actually started his investing journey because of it kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and actually to one of their I guess it's now a bi sort of biannual event. It was held in Niagara Falls and I got to speak there in front of 500 people somewhere around there. And awesome. Yeah. I was completely fine for nerves until they called my name. And then I was like, <laughs> I was really, no, no, let's go, let's go. Murray messy. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I'll be honest. I was really nervous. Yeah, man. But, uh, no, it was good because it pushed me outside of my comfort zone and it introduced me to a lot of more seasoned investors, I guess. So, and that's kind of a thing is there's your people that are just starting to learn and then there's mm-hmm. people that are in it for more of the networking side yeah. because they're already experienced, they already know how to do the deals and everything. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it, but what I get out of it, I think is the networking or that yeah. thing. Yeah. Having grown up with the, you know, real estate investing, not to say I know everything, not by any stretch, but it's just, I'm very familiar with it. So yeah. it's more so I want to keep meeting all those new people that are like-minded. Yeah. 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 Really yeah. enjoy that about it. And it's, it's not even, it's not that like. A lot of times when you hear about these networking events, like it's always like in Ontario or, or out of New Brunswick. And it's not that there's no uh, no New Brunswick investors that are worth kind of networking with. It's that one, a lot of the ones, a lot of the people that are already here, like investing and stuff, they already have kind of people, Yep. you know? And so it's, we, you know, we go to Ontario, we go to Toronto and all these bigger cities to kind of meet new people and bring them into 
um, into New Brunswick and show them, you know, the development opportunities, the, the investing opportunities, you know, the multifamily commercial opportunities and show them like the growth that we've had through like immigration and whatnot. Um, and then I'll segue into that. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, anything, yeah. but uh, I really enjoy that because I, my whole goal is to bring people to New Brunswick. A lot of people have said New Brunswick's a have-not province. I've heard that mm, a lot. Yep. And I, I'm kind of on a little like mini mission to change that, I guess. You know, I want to show people that New Brunswick has a lot to offer. We have an yeah. incredible lifestyle here. We're a very affordable place to live. I mean, I know the world's tumultuous right now and everything, but in the grand scheme of things, St. John, New Brunswick was actually rated as, I think, the most affordable city to live in Canada. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I believe that. I do a lot of research on like um, yeah. Moncton, Fredericton, St. John, like average rents and stuff like that and like average cost of living and stuff. And like, yeah, like Fredericton is like one of the most expensive. Moncton is, you know, way up there. And then like when it comes to like major, like if you want to move to Bucktouche or yeah. Miramichi or Bathurst or something like that, out in the middle of nowhere, Juniper. Or something like that and <laughs> yeah your cost of living might be pretty low. but if you're trying to get like the the cost per what you're getting like in st john is yeah it's incredible yeah. yeah and yeah. some of the opportunities down there so st john's the oldest incorporated city in canada mm. you've got a lot of old gorgeous real estate you know big old victorian homes and things like that and it, really great opportunities now you have to know which ones are good and which ones are bad like yeah. a nation's bad or whatever but yeah. Yeah. The opportunity to add value in St. John, I think is the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, if you want turnkey, Fredericton's probably better. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, and like, so in Fredericton, like the big industries are like IT, government, you know, and then obviously we got um, a big like student population with like UMB and St. Yep. Thomas and, and stuff like that. What are kind of the big industries there that are kind of, you know, running? Big drivers in St. John. Yeah. So we have an oil refinery, a yep. really, really large one at that. Um, so there's all kinds of skilled labor that's there, you know, so everything from plumbers, electricians, pipe fitters, boiler makers, crane operators. I used to run a crane in the refinery for a short mm -hmm. term. So yeah, I mean, lots of skilled laborers and those are all very well-paid jobs, often all unionized jobs, obviously too. Yeah. So we have that, um, just heavy industry in general. So we've got a, a pulp and paper mill, we've got a drywall producing plant, we've got a tissue mill. Yeah. Um, and then the sort of all the ancillary jobs that come around that. So there's a lot of you know, suppliers and sales guys and everything else all in that big industrial complex. So yeah, that's kind of our main stuff. And then we also have a really large port that was just expanded recently too. Yeah, that's right. We've got, I think it's four, four container cranes now instead of two. And that was a massive undertaking as well. So wow. yeah, wow. lots and lots and lots of skilled labor. So that's our demographic. That's awesome. We need more of that. We need more of those folks around here, man. It's impossible to find trades people and like yeah. skilled laborers and stuff to do stuff around here too. It's tough. I mean, it's tough everywhere. People don't really, yeah. I don't know what it is that like, people just aren't interested in the trades like they used to be, but, um, but they are a very crucial, uh, part of, of our industry and stuff. Absolutely. Especially here in New Brunswick. But so I want to go back to, so you mentioned wealth genius, um, a little bit earlier. Yep. Now tell me a little bit about, um, about your experience with that. And I want to talk a little bit about kind of segue into how folks can get into multifamily commercial real estate investing. Yep. Um, and just like what you're seeing in terms of um, their expectations coming into it versus your expectations kind of meeting them. Um, and then also like what the actual realistic outcome is, you know, because yep. everybody's always preaching all these, you know, cap rates, cash flow, this and that. But give us a little... Uh, Give us a little rundown on your experience with um, 
kind of actual realistic expectations and some stuff that you've run into in terms of growth. Yeah. Just like people with unrealistic expectations, maybe. Yeah. So one of the things I would say is that, I mean, markets always change and markets yeah. are local, right? So there one city's like your city in here in Fredericton is different than my city in St. John or Moncton. Um, but also provincially things change drastically. So landlord tenant laws are different. The way transactions are conducted are different. So just on like a, a specifically real estate side of it for a second, in Ontario, if I understand it correctly, you put your deposit down first, then do your conditions. Whereas in New Brunswick, we do our conditions first, then put our deposit down. That makes our sale like conditionally sold sort of deal. Um, mm -hmm. So little things like that are a big misconception I find with newer investors, even seasoned ones that haven't come out this way. But then the other thing as well is the market conditions. So like in Ontario right now, they're seeing a, quite a slide in their values. Out here, we're still getting multiple offers. I had a client, you know, it was on a small little residential home, super popular type of home, went to 17 offers in St. John. So it's still like sort of peak time, I guess, yeah. if you want to call it that. It's still very strongly a seller's market. So one of the things I've come across is like people want vendor take back or VTB. It's where they, you know, the seller holds the mortgage. And it's not to say it's impossible to get on a lot of the commercial stuff, like, you know, the commercial retail or whatever, people may offer it. But, you know, why would the seller go for the, the vendor take back necessarily when they can get 10 offers and go way over asking price? So, and it, like I say, it's not to dash anybody's hopes, but it's just that you're going to have to work extraordinarily hard in order to make those things happen. And why try and fight the system? You know, maybe find one that's fallen apart a couple of times on finance or inspection. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you can negotiate with them on price or whatever, but you have to be, you have to pay attention to where the market's going. And St. John and New Brunswick as a whole are still really strongly in the seller's market, which is very different from where a lot of these clients are coming from. Yeah. yeah. And to kind of um, add on to that as well, um, with like VTBs and stuff, like if you're only trying to get, you know, VTB seller financing, like these, you know, creative financing deals yep. with stuff that's like on the market, it's very rare that it's going to happen because like most people that put their stuff on the market because they want to sell, they want their money they want either the hot price. Yeah. They want the top price and they want to like move on and buy something else maybe. Um, so really like, you know, those VTBs and the seller financing and creative financing deals and structures and stuff that we come up with. Typically like we're finding those, and you know, I am anyway, finding those like off market and um, not, and like you said, in situations where Maybe they did go on the market. They've had multiple offers. A deal fell through. They had another one. Financing fell through again. Oh, inspection failed again this time. Yeah. And then you go in and you're like, hey, look, here's a creative option. It does benefit the seller even more because oftentimes, like, you know, they're getting a decent price if they're willing to hold more. Maybe the buyer will pay more. Um, but then they're also like, if, if you know, they're getting paid interest and stuff on top of that over a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. It can, it can work out better for the sellers, you know, you get into the details with capital gains, taxes, and stuff like that. Yeah. There's tens of benefits for the sellers. But um, but yeah, keep going with that. Wealth genius, you know, people that kind of have unrealistic expectations on, you know, ETBs and stuff. But uh, what what else are you seeing? Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily unrealistic expectations is that they don't understand our market very well yet. And as a realtor, that's part of my job is to educate the clients that I have, right? So I've got to give them market information. I've got to show them what's going on here. And it's just, it's more about education necessarily than it is an unrealistic expectation. They're told that, hey, look, let's be creative with our financing. Let's, yeah. you know, let's get the best deal possible. And absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that as a premise, but it's just that you have to understand. And what I like, I've sort of picked this line up from one of my mentors is, is this a market that you're willing to participate in? 
You know, so mm-hmm. if I ask that question, it kind of really digs down to the bottom of it. It's like, well, okay, am I really willing to go over asking? Am I more patient? Do I want a lot of deals really quickly? So all of these things kind of factor into it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I would say it's more so just, I don't want to say ignorance, but basically, right? They, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why we're here as realtors. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I hate to say that I'm like a teacher or like an educator, but like at the end of the day, that's what that's what you have to do. Because I know when I, before I got into real estate and before I bought my first house, um, I was just completely oblivious to anything. And like, yeah. I, and like now when I'm studying it every single day, learning, you know, going to these networking events, you know, having a mentor and stuff, I'm learning like just, just an unparalleled amount of stuff, like every single day, something new. Yeah. Right. And so all we're, all we're just trying to do is just educate people so that we can have realistic expectations and have smooth transactions and, you know, help everybody involved. Yeah. Right. And um, you don't want to waste people's time either. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, these investors, too, like these Ontario investors, if they're going to come to New Brunswick, they don't want to be wasting all their time just looking at properties and and then just getting upset because, like, the deal's not coming together or because you can't negotiate a price that you think is fair. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, and then they're, they're eventually, people are just going to eventually give up, right, and stop stop trying to make a deal happen if if they don't have those yeah, and I, I think at the at the end of the day, and that's something I've had to learn as well, is that I need to set the expectation for the client right from the very get-go and say, hey, look, these are the market conditions we're dealing with. This is kind of what's going on. Is it something you want to participate in? And then if yes, okay, how are we going to go about it, right? Yeah. So another like little strategy that people have started to use, and one of my two largest investors right now, they're coming in with a cash deal, cash purchase on the property, and then financing it afterward. Yeah. So not everybody can do that. And I fully understand that. That's a, you know, that's a top, top level type thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a technique that can be used. Uh, it kind of gets around a lot of those sticky issues. So, yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, by the time this, this airs, I will have been there and back, but, but like I've had to Toronto this week to meet with a bunch of investors and my goal is, and, and kind of one of the reasons is one, to just kind of build that relationship with like those Ontario folks and kind of get to know them a little bit so that we can you know, make the transaction smoother, but also it's, it's to do two things. One, give them a game plan of what I need from them. Yes. Like when we're going through yeah. the process, like when we're writing offers, like, look, I need, I need you to be ready to send the deposit. I need you to be ready to, you know, um, make quicker decisions because the market moves quick over here. Um, and just, you know, be ready to go and a big list of things. But then I also am going to get like a list of stuff that they need from me, um, to help make their decision, you know, quick yeah, kind of thing. Like, one goes with the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they, they, they just yeah. go one and the same, right? So, you know, I'm going to be providing them with every, every detail on the financing in, income and expenses, you know, get the leases for them, figure out when the last rent increases were, you know, give them some information on what I think the average rents are. Cause typically yeah. stuff multifamily that's selling right now is not at market rent, but sometimes it gets priced as if it is all too true. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so yeah giving them information on, you know, um, what the market rents are. If they're flippers and they're doing flip projects, I give them, you know, renovation, uh, cost, uh, renovation estimate estimates and stuff. Like I bring in my, my contracting crew and do renovation estimates. And then I tell them like what the ARV is going to be like the after renovation value yep. and just like, you know, little things like that. So I, you know, I need to do a lot more work on the back end and presenting them with something. But once I do present that, if I'm going all the way to, you know, give it to you. Like, I'm just like, you need to make a decision. Yes or no quickly. You know, I know the market here in New Brunswick. 
you know, you, and, and just building that trust, you know what I mean? After you do a couple tra uh, transactions together, you have that trust, but it's just like, I'm going to give you everything you need to make a good decision on a good investment here in New Brunswick. And this is what you kind of need to do with return. Uh, with making the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because, I mean, there are people in New Brunswick that would, that will buy, but we're trying to not, I mean, some people don't like it that we're going to try to bring Ontario folks in, but we won't get into that. But but we're trying to, to grow New Brunswick and grow the economy here and bring in, you know, maybe some more money, some more development and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, the, can... these things are like, they trickle, they have a trickle down effect. Like you had mentioned the contractors, right? So it, if we bring somebody in from Ontario that's, you know, very financially well off, let's say, they go and buy two, three, four, five, ten properties even. Yeah. You know, and then they renovate them all, let's say. Well, you're going to employ all those contractors, the architects, engineers, and so on and so on, all the way down sort of the economic circle, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Alrighty. So let's dive into a little bit about um, how little Billy or little Joe off the street can get into some multifamily investing. Okay. So, like, I come to you, I say, Murray, man, um, you know, I don't have any money. Or actually, no, I'm not going to say that, but. I say, I say, Murray, how do I get into multifamily investing? I want to buy my first multi-unit, whether it's a duplex, a triplex, maybe a four-unit, maybe I, maybe I want to move into one of the units, maybe I want to do this and that. Yep. What What are you going to tell me? What are some uh, ways that anybody can kind of, it's not going to be happen on day one, but eventually get into some multifamily uh, real estate investing? For sure, yeah. So I, I would say the first thing is understand the fundamentals of a business. Very first thing. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like some, there's a distinction between being a landlord and being an investor. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a landlord, somebody that looks after the property themselves, it's how it was done for years and years and years. Like that's how my dad started kind of thing, right? Does all his own maintenance, looks after the property. He deals with his tenants every day and he loves it. He absolutely loves being hands-on with people. An investor is somebody, and I'll come back to your point there, but an investor is somebody that maybe remote manages, has a property manager, just looks at only the numbers kind of deal. And they don't, they don't even know who their tenants are, not for better or worse, not for being mean or anything. It's just, they run it as a business, right? So if you understand business fundamentals first of profit and loss, um, how to analyze the deals kind of thing, that's really important. So I think education is the most important thing first. Yep. Understand, you know, what's a cap rate, what's cash on cash, you know, what's a, what's a profit or what's a loss. Some people don't even know that, right? So you have to understand all of your business fundamentals first. And then figure out, okay, well, what are the revenue streams that you're going to get out of a, out of a multifamily property? So like you have the property acquisition first and you have appreciation, right? So the value of the property is going to go up. You've got the debt pay down if you're going to use some financing, right? So that's going to add value to it. You can do forced appreciation, which is actually, you know, doing a renovation to the property to add value to it and add the ability to, to make some money on it. So learn all of those fundamentals first before you even think about it. Because so too many people jump in and think, oh, I'm just going to gut absolutely everything out and put it all back in brand new and mm. life's going to be great. It's not how it works. No. You know, there's, there's re, how could I put it? There's realities, I guess, to, you know, realistic budgets, realistic spending, what banks will loan you when you're doing a construction mortgage. Like there's all of these different facets to it. So if you're brand new to it, understand your fundamentals first. And then second thing I would say, is hook on to somebody that actually knows or has done it before. So, you know, why beat your head against the wall and try and learn everything right from scratch, right from the ground floor, when you could leapfrog your knowledge if you, you know, meet somebody that's, you know, able to do it mm -hmm. or has done it in the past, I guess. Yeah. So whether that's a commercial realtor or, you know, some kind of real estate 
mixer or group, or, you know, if it is something like Eastfire Well Genius, doesn't matter, but talk to people who have done it before so you can avoid all the pitfalls and traps. Yeah. And just learn from their mistakes and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, one thing to kind of add on to that a little bit, like with like grabbing onto somebody, whether it's a mentor or a partner or something like this, I was always against like partnering on like real estate transactions and deals and stuff like this. Yep. And like kind of grew up like, you know, don't do business with family. Don't do business with friends. Like it's going to kill relationships. And like a lot, a lot of times that is true. Like, you know, trying to do business deals with like family, like maybe nine times out of 10, it doesn't work out or like there's going to be some resentment there, which you don't want at the family picnics or whatever, but, (laughs) but finding somebody, you know, and sometimes family things work out, sometimes friend things work out, but finding somebody, um, that you click with that's like business minded, that has the same goals and, and, and vision as you, um, to partner with and kind of learn together. And ideally, it's somebody that knows a little bit more than you. You know what I mean? I definitely agree. Somebody you can build with. You know, I mean, if they're at the top of their game, maybe they're not going to have time to teach you kind of thing. But if, they, if they've if they got two or three properties, you know, they, they understand the fundamentals. Yep. They've done it before. They've made some mistakes. You can learn from them and kind of avoid those mistakes. Yep. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. The other thing, too, is kind of like to your point of family stuff. So it, I've learned all my stuff from my, my dad, obviously, yep. where he's been in the business for so long. Um, but people that are outside of that family friends group, generally it's a bit more just like of a business relationship mm-hmm. and it's easier that if something did go wrong, you can just kind of part ways. And yeah. like we talked about with investing being a little bit black and white, that's kind of a nice part about it too. So, yeah, but yeah, for like back to your point about somebody off the street. So, you know, fundamentals first is the most important thing. Find somebody that, you know, knows a whole lot about it. And then understand, okay, how am I going to source the money for it? So as we had talked about with like the vendor take back and creative side, that's a bit more difficult nowadays. So maybe it's a pre-approval or maybe you can use a home equity line of credit or something like that if you're in a decent financial position. But that's something else I'd say is that it's not for, I don't want to say the ground floor, but like it's very difficult to get into if you don't have some money to start with. Yeah. So if you own a home and you've got equity to leverage against, maybe that's not the right thing for you, but it's one option, right? Yeah. 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 And you know, it's going to be, I mean, yeah, you can't just walk off the street and just buy, buy a fourplex. Buy, yeah. Buy a fourplex. At like a hundred grand a door. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like it's, yeah. it's not going to happen. Um, unfortunately, but there's ways that you can kind of set yourself up and start planning early so that you can, you know, buy one in, you know, 12 months, a year, Absolutely. you know, two years or something, whatever it is. Yep. And I mean, you know, a year, two years to plan to buy, um, you know, to work towards buying like a multi-unit is not a long time at all. And so like, if, if, if you just kind of start thinking about it now, like you have, you have plenty of time, like most people listen to this, like you got plenty of time. Yeah. And one of the other things I'd mentioned too, and this is quite a bit more technical, but you know, your sort of residential properties, if you want to call them that from the loan perspective are usually up to about four units, depends on the bank, the mortgage broker. Yep. But if you get into the commercial side of lending, so, you know, five, six, seven units, Generally, they're looking more so at the assets production than they are at your own, yep. you know, personal ratios. Now that matters, your net worth matters and all, all those other things. They do net worth checks when there's enough money involved and things like that. But that all being said, it's almost in a way easier to get into the, into the commercial stuff because if the asset's performing well, they're very likely to lend you the money. Yeah. Now yep. I'm going to preface this with, I'm not a mortgage broker. <laughs> you don't <laughs> talk, talk to a mortgage broker. Hey, that's it folks. That. He, uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. But uh, it's it just from a general perspective. Yeah. 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 No. And I, I, some of my clients that I deal with, like when they're buying like four units and under, they're like, okay, the application process is easier. 
And it is easier for them who have great credit, have a lot of money, you know, have a good track record of, you know, properties and stuff. But like for somebody that maybe doesn't have a huge track record, maybe, you know, but has a bunch of money, you know, the commercial side of things could be, you know, a better, like going five units or more could be like, you know, better in some situations. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to take maybe more money down, uh, initially and the application process is going to be a lot more detailed. They're going to need a lot more information. Um, but it's all, but like you said, once you get into that realm of things, it's more, um, like asset production and, you know, the income, you know, rather than residential, which is more based on the person that's taking the loan. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So that's kind of a little bit about, you know, how you can kind of first get into multifamily investing. Do you like, do you have clients that are like, you know, they have a house, they want to get into it. Do you recommend that they sell their house and then buy like a duplex, move into one side? Um, Or do you say like, maybe just do like a, you know, like you mentioned a HELOC, you know, and then try and buy it? Or is there anything that you think is best? I wouldn't say necessarily best because it depends on your own personal situation, but I would say understanding the different methodologies that are there is going to help you to make the best decision for you. Now, it sounds like I'm not answering the question, but what I mean by that is that some people from a family perspective wouldn't want to have to deal with somebody living right next door to them. They want their privacy. You know, they don't want to be in a duplex directly beside somebody. Yeah. For other people, that's awesome. They're really happy to do it. You know, they can, we call it like house hacking, right? Yeah. Get the, get the other unit to pay for your mortgage kind of deal. That's awesome. For some people, let's say you've got a construction background. Well, maybe you're going to do the burn method. You're going to buy it, renovate it, like refinance it. Um, that could be a potential, or maybe you just do a straight flip where you're not going to hold on to it at all. You're going to buy it in distressed condition, fix it up and then sell it. So it depends on your financial resources. It depends on the particular position that your life is in. Mm. And then also your long-term goal too, right? Like I, I talked to a lot of investors about, okay, well, you want to go buy a triplex. Well, why do you want that triplex? Is it because you want to buy it and hold on to it for 50 years yeah. and get all of that natural appreciation over time and the cash flow? Yeah. Is it because you want to, you know, rip through a whole bunch of different properties, you know, and go flip them and make a ton of cash and then go buy something huge? What's your long-term goal? What's your short-term goal? And then how do I help you find it? Yeah. You know, so it, it again, I don't, it's not that I don't want to answer the question. It, oh, no. There, it's so dependent on the particular person that you have to understand all these other strategies to figure out what's best for you. Yeah. And that kind of yeah. comes back to what we talked about earlier about, you know, I'm going to Toronto to meet with these folks and I'm giving them a list of what I need. And they're giving me a list of what they need. Yeah. And then also like just what their kind of goals are. Like I have some clients that their only goal is to maximize the amount of units. Obviously it needs to like make cash flow a little bit. Yep. But like the main goal is they understand Fredericton and they understand New Brunswick, the appreciation that's going to happen. Their goal is to just maximize units, get as many units, yeah, more doors. And then, but I have other investors who are the opposite and they won't buy anything unless it's got like a 10% cap and it's cash flow and you know, you know, eight, ten percent, you know, cash on cash return, whatever it is. Um, and it's just got a cash flow like crazy. Then other people, they're just like, we just want the cheapest thing and we want to renovate it and then refinance it, you know, to buy more. So, like you say, it's just understanding um what your goal is and what you want to do with the property. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. part of my process too, is like, you know, I usually have an introductory call with any investor that I have. So whether it's from, you know, one of the groups or whether it's somebody else that I've met. I'll take 30 minutes of my time, sit down with them and say, okay, what exactly are you looking for and why? 
Mm. And then I can kind of tailor my search for them yep. based on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very individual type thing and it depends on the goals that you're trying to hit, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not just, let's go buy a triplex for the sake of drive by yeah. a triplex. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about like we, we hear multifamily commercial, um, and like multifamily, there's still commercial multifamily, but then there's also like commercial, commercial, <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's like office yeah. spaces and big, you know, storefronts and yeah like storefronts yeah. and stuff like that yeah so let's dig in a little bit this into, is my favorite one <laughs> yeah into like kind of like multifamily versus commercial the differences there you know like commercial commercial um and whether it's better to rent to tenants and like residents and like um you know single people or wh whether it's better to you know lease commercial spaces to businesses and stuff like that you know uh just just start talking about that and what what your thoughts are yeah so from the like from the multifamily side you're going to have a lot of you know individuals a lot of families um and the these people they're that's their home right yeah there's a lot of emotion involved you know and if there's family disputes or heaven forbid abuse or things like that I, i've seen a lot of that kind of thing happen unfortunately um but that changes the dynamic because it's a very emotional experience whereas when you're dealing with a business kind of like the investor side of it it's just, okay, what's the rent? You know, what's the type of lease that I've got? Is it a gross lease? Is it a net lease? Whatever that might be. And that's it. You know, it's very simple. But the other side of it is that there's a risk with commercial where, you know, if that business fails, they're gone. And then can you fill the space? Mm -hmm. So in St. John, just as like a market snapshot right now, we've got a lot of big, huge, older buildings that are kind of disused, if you want to call it that. And they're just sitting empty, a lot of them. Yeah. So after, you know, the big work from home thing, after the pandemic happened, a lot of them are vacant at the moment. We don't we don't talk about the pandemic. No, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. No, I'm just playing. Go. Yeah, yeah. But after that happened, um, yeah, it, it's left a lot of buildings vacant. But I see it as a massive opportunity because we have quite a bad housing shortage at the moment, and it's tremendously expensive to build brand new. So yeah. if, if you look at like a normal house that has like a regular bungalow, I think it's like 450 grand nowadays to build one. Or you can still buy one for like 250 that's essentially the same thing it's yeah. not brand new so taking that logic and putting it into the the commercial space like the retail commercial space um you can take these properties renovate them top to bottom and then you've got a massive usually very well built building that's going to house a whole bunch of people mm. so that's the other side of it is that these buildings are usually built to a commercial standard so they've got elevators sprinkler systems usually steel frame yeah. And, you know, wider doors, concrete construction, wider doors, wider hallways. So the the renovation isn't actually too bad because the code compliance is easier. Yeah. A lot of times they've got three-phase power, so the power is no issue whatsoever. Yeah. Now, of course, it's case by case. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Yeah. It, I see it as a massive opportunity. So it depends the, from the investing side. It depends on what you're trying to do. But commercial retail right now is suffering. There's no question about that. Yeah. So, and multifamily is, it's on dry. Yeah. Or, yeah. Do really well. Yeah. Cause there's yeah. a huge demand, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I've heard uh, a lot of uh, talks about people that are buying like in this time and over the past couple of years when, you know, COVID hit and everybody started working from home, they would, were buying these massive, like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 floor buildings, yep. um, commercial buildings that used to be all office spaces. They're buying them and turning them into like condos or something like that. Condos or apartments or something like that. Yep. And like, then just filling them, like, cause like everybody needs, you know, a place to live and 
Yep. Um, especially here in Canada, we're having, we have so much immigration and then especially, you know, I mean, most of it's probably, I think in Ontario, correct me if I'm wrong, but then a lot of people like for New Brunswick, we have a lot of, you know, immigration for the size we are. We do. Yeah. And there, there's massive influx of people, which is not the standard that New Brunswick spins. So, you know, I'm here to wave New Brunswick's flag and you yep. know, give attention to it. But for a long time, we were a very stagnant economy. You know, we'd have little booms, little busts, but it was a very kind of just steady flow and yep. not a whole lot of growth. So that's something else that investors should understand is that this isn't the norm for New Brunswick. This is something that's just come in. So on the, like being a responsible kind of investor, you want to look at the long-term projections as well. Is this, you know, immigration going to keep up? And if so, what does that mean for my multifamily business? Yep. All right. So let's talk a little bit about um, multifamily versus commercial and what we're looking for when we're going through these properties. Like if we're looking, if we're going through a multifamily property, like what are we looking for? Is it doesn't need to be purpose built? Do they need to have separate meters, whatever? Commercial leases, like what are we looking for in a building there? What are we looking for when we're trying to, you know, get leases signed? Like do we want a triple net? Whatever it is. Um, tell me a little bit about Oh, there goes my coffee. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you're kind of looking for with your folks um, when you're kind of going through. Yeah, for sure. So purpose build is one of the, the first ones. So in St. John, I, I should preface this with that we have a lot of old properties that are, you know, over 150 years old, some of them yeah. over 100 years old. So it's hard to find purpose built stuff. A lot of them are, they are actually like a, a big old grand home that was converted into units. Oh yeah. So that's the vast majority of our stuff in St. John, but purpose built's always better. Um, and as you had mentioned, individual meters are really important because then, you know, you can have the, the tenants pay their own utility bills and then that offloads some of the costs from the landlord and helps your profitability. So that's and, great. And it, and it helps with like consistency because power bills are going to be all over the place. Some tenants crank their heat up 30. Some tenants leave it ice cold down at like 17 in the winter kind of thing. So it helps yep. with consistency there and budgeting. Yeah, absolutely. You you know what your what your expenses are going to be because you don't have to worry about the variability. And also if you have a super cold winter versus a super warm winter, right? That's, uh, I mean, some winters we have are crazy and they're, they're going to freeze you to death and other ones aren't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of it. Um, St. John's specific. So foundations are a really important thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the properties that my, my family has actually, we took the back end off of it. We call it like a back L. So you kind of have like the main house in St. John and then a lot of times a little extension off the back. Okay. And a lot of times the back L's are not built on proper foundations. So this one actually had cedar posts directly into the ground. That was it. (laughs) Now the main house is on a proper, you know, proper foundation, but the back L was literally just cedar posts driven into the ground. There's only one left. Wow. So, you know, see, and how long, how long, how old is that building? Like those cedar posts are probably 1880s. I think it was built. Yeah. 1890s, something like that. So. So, I mean, good for the cedar for holding up that long. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. But that being, it's at it, that point now. Yeah. Yeah. There was only like one post left on one side of the house. So yeah. you got to know that going into a lot of these places and watch for it. The other one is the old cobblestone foundations that have like the lime mortar in the center. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. they, what can happen is they're only good for about a hundred years. They, some of the engineers I've talked to have said, um, what happens is you get frost jacking in the ground mm-hmm. and that ends up pushing the wall in slowly over time. And then once the mortar starts to let go and fail, you need to replace that wall. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a big job. Now, that being said, if you've got one that's got good drainage and everything else around it, the house could be in great shape and no problem at all. But if you see a stone like cobble foundation, you better have a really good look at it. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the other things. Um, there are poured concrete foundations and brick foundations too. They're usually not too bad as long as they don't have big cracks in them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say, and I've talked to a lot of people from Ontario and they don't seem to understand why, but 
brick facades in St. John, and I don't know if it's just the age. A lot of time, the brick facades, the like the mortar in between starts to crack up really bad, and it's really, really expensive to repoint them or like to replace the mortar. You got to grind it out and yep, put it back yep. in, and it's a really labor-intensive thing. So like brownstone, as people will call it, or brick facade places, they can be tremendously expensive to repair and maintain, whereas the wood frame houses, they're a bit more compliant, a bit more flexible. You know, they move and shift with the, the ground kind of deal, and they're usually a bit better off structurally. Now, do you find that like those brick buildings, like with the brick facades, yeah. do you find that they're not, they don't last as long? Because like here in Fredericton, like where we're not so close to the ocean, I don't know, I don't know if that's anything. And I don't know sure. if it's environmental factors or whatever, but they just don't seem to hold up all that well. Yeah. Or at least they're maintenance intensive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Because like here in Fredericton, it's almost like if you got a brick building, it's like, yeah, right on, like. Or like a brick sod or something like that. It's like, yeah. oh, that's a great, you know, solid building and you're not going to zero maintenance basically. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's like you say case to case and in St. John, I think there's a lot more buildings that were built that way. And so in Fredericton, it's more like a, the odd one out kind of is. is yeah. And I, I think that's part of it too, is that the, the age of a lot of the buildings has a big part to yeah. do with it, right? So if it's a more modern brick structure, usually they're, they're not too bad because they're on better footings, but. Yeah, so that that's one of the things I'm looking for in a lot of the multifamily stuff, and that's usually below like sort of the six unit level. Once you get beyond six units, generally in the in the city, it's more modern stuff. Mm. It was built in like the 1970s and up. Mm. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, the other thing too is looking at like the the plumbing and electrical systems. So I don't know if any of your viewers know, but there's a thing called knob and tube wiring. That's where you've got like a little ceramic insulator and an uninsulated wire that goes across the top of it. Yep. Insurance companies don't like it. Finance companies. Yeah, obviously don't like it either, but uh, sometimes you can't get insurance on them or it's extremely difficult to do so or the insurance company will say, hey, you got to have it out in 30 days or something. So watching out for that's a big one too because oftentimes people will splice into that old system and then it can cause all kinds of nightmares. Yeah, I yeah, I don't even want to talk about it, but we just, yeah. <laughs> one of my guys just bought a building and and like from quick glance, there was like no knob and tube, right? But it was yeah. this old conversion building and um anyway we were like uh, some of the, some weird stuff was going on like it was like a four unit and like some of the lights in one of the unit were controlled by a panel in a different unit so we like started kind of exploring a little bit sure enough man just knob and tube through the whole entire building and i was like oh my goodness and they just like yeah. spliced on like like you say and all the outlets looked good you take the outlets off and it's like new wire oh yeah right on yeah. But then like we started taking out some light fixtures, pulling back some drywall and we we're like, oh no. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so that's, it's, it's something to watch for, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's not that you can't avoid it sort of thing, but it's just with a lot of the older buildings, it's something to watch for. Um, yeah. And then from like a performance perspective, so usually I'd like to see an investor get into something with like an eight cap, maybe somewhere around there. So it cap rates, basically like your net operating income divided by your value, multiply it by hundred, you get a little percentage. So like a 10 cap is amazing. 10% cap rate is mm. incredible. It's really good. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, a lot of my investors anyway, the people that I work with try and get, once they purchase a building at like, uh, you know, if they're purchasing them like really low at like six or 7%, they try and get them to like an operating, uh, cap rate of like 10, 11, 12% kind of thing. If possible to optimize if, it. Yeah. If possible, yeah. once, once kind of things are optimized kind of thing. If they know that they're never going to be able to get it there, then like they kind of pull back a little bit, but yep. But yeah, now for 
commercial spaces um you mentioned that those are those are kind of tricky like you said if a business goes sideways like that space is going to be vacant it could be vacant for a long time like even yep. here in Fredericton, like there's a lot of office spaces like that are just sitting there like yep. empty and like you see you know listings out there office space for lease like nobody's calling nobody's going to them um now what is it that we're looking for like in commercial spaces either as like an investor or as like a potential tenant um that we want to see like do we need bathrooms in every little commercial space do we just need big open space you know what are, what are we kind of looking for? And Yeah, so, so again, it does depend on what you're going to try and use it for. But I would say from like an investor's perspective, looking to buy the place, if you have an anchor tenant in place, so, you know, you've got a, I'm just going to throw some brand names, but if you've got a Sobeys or a Canadian Tire or, you know, a restaurant that's been there for 50 years or, yep. or something like that, if you've got a really great anchor tenant that's been there for a long time, that's kind of like a mainstay, staple business that everybody's going to frequent, then all of your little other units, usually you can get those filled. Because people say, hey, look, it's a secure building. Somebody's been here for a long time. It's well-established. So if you are going to buy it and use it as a commercial space specifically, that's probably what I'd be looking for, something that has a nice, solid anchor tenant. Um, yeah, that that would be great. And then obviously, you know, like a triple net lease is way better because they're paying for, you know, your taxes and maintenance and everything else like that. So it's really good from the owner's perspective because you don't have a whole lot of risk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, my multifamily folks are like, I don't want anything commercial. Like, get me away from that stuff. I don't want, I don't want that. But then like, I got some commercial folks that are like, give me all the commercial, give me strip malls, give yeah. me like, yep. Yep. give me a big, you know, skyscrapers. I'm like, what, why do you want that? You know, but everybody's different. Everybody has like, every investor also has like their niche of investing. Some Absolutely. people it's, yeah. it's low, low income, affordable housing. And you look at the units and they're kind of a little bit beat up. But they're really targeting and, you know, niching in on, you know, making affordable housing for people. And like, if it's affordable, if it's affordable, then it's hard for the owner and the investor to keep up with making it, you know, this, doing all these luxury updates and stuff. So, yeah. you know, some people look at them and they're like, oh, they're just slumlords and stuff. But it's like, it's like some, some of them are, but some people are just trying to cater to a very low income uh, uh, demographic and trying to give. Um, those people who just can't afford, you know, 12, 13, 14, 1500 bucks a month yep. in rent, you know, um, $800 a month, is a lot more reasonable, $700 a month, is a lot more reasonable. And yeah, yeah. Not everybody can afford that $1,600 a month place. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's crazy. And rents, rents have come up. I, I remember my first place was, was like 700 bucks a month or, so, or 750 bucks a month. And I thought that was like crazy, you know, like for this little two bedroom unit, it was a nice two bedroom unit. They had just updated it. And, um, you know, new appliances, new countertops, new flooring, paint. Um, and I was like, oh, 750 bucks. Like, I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. And then uh, now, yeah, I don't even think, I haven't seen anything out there for 750 bucks. Like, anyway, but no matter the size or condition, right? So it's, 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 you know, things are changing. But, and the other thing is a lot of tenants and like people that just own houses and look at investors and stuff, they hate on them because they're like, oh, you're charging 1400 bucks or 1600 bucks, you know, um, for this, you know, stupid apartment. Um, but what they don't realize is I just paid a million dollars for this building. If I don't charge at least a thousand bucks or 1200 bucks or 1400 bucks, like I'm going to be losing thousands of thousands of dollars a month. 
like most investors are not greedy and they're not trying to you know screw people over they're just trying to pay the bills just like any other person yeah yeah right? and that and that's the thing like i had sort of mentioned the difference between like a landlord and an investor mm. i don't say any either of those with a negative connotation it's just that if you're an investor you're only looking at the numbers right yeah yeah so you've got to make sure and landlords too as well you have to make sure that the numbers are going to work but i think as a landlord like a lot of the, those types of guys they're older fellows that have done or, or girls doesn't matter um but those people have done a lot more um like hands-on stuff so they do their own repairs they don't have to pay for a property manager so they can afford those lower rents but if you're a remote investor you've got to pay a property manager you've got to pay a full plumber's rate you know you can't put a couple of shark fittings together with some pecs and yeah. do it yourself kind or of call everybody right? to come do it in the middle of the night for a discounted cash deal or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, whatever whatever the case is but the the point being is that you know if you're a strictly an investor and you're using a property manager and all professionals for every single thing that has to happen to change a light bulb or whatever yeah you've got to charge a premium for that because you have to pay for it at the end of the day so yeah yeah and that's a distinction i don't think a lot of people see yeah yeah. And when you're coming into like a new city as well, new city, new province, and like investing, it's going to take a while to build those connections. And, yeah. you know, your your costs are going to be higher, you know, to start, you know, in most cases. Yeah. And that, that's where like, and a little plug for realtors for a second, I guess, but that's where using a good like commercially or investing focused realtor is nice because you and I both have connections with, you know, contractors, plumbers, electricians, whoever. Exactly. Um, we can steer people in the right direction. Yeah. 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 Man, Murray, this has been awesome, but we're going to talk about a couple more things and we're going to get out of here. So yep. one thing I always ask everybody, where were you, where are you now and where do you want to go kind of thing and like, what are your goals? So I just want to kind of touch back on, on some of that kind of stuff. So you kind of told me a little bit about what you did before in the construction crane operation, whatnot. Yep. And right now you're doing real estate kind of thing. You know, you're, you're setting your goals. Um, you're, you know, you're improving every day. You're, you're coming up, you're making, you know, making more money, selling more properties and educating more people, help more people every day. For sure. It's awesome. But tell me a little bit about, uh, about your goals and stuff for the next like year, two years, five years. Um, and just give me a little bit of, uh, give me a little bit about, give me a little, little bit of something for the people to look forward to when you, when we have you back on, where are you going to yeah. be, you know, in the, in next time we see you. Yeah. So I, I mean, I obviously want to do more on the, uh, like more on the multi side than I, than I am doing right now. Like I, I still do residential and I'll always still do residential yep. because I can, you know, like somebody wants to buy a house, I'm not going to shy them, shy away from them, but trying to make that the main focus of the business. Um, the other thing as well is I want to try and get some new construction going. Mm. So I, I'm a bit new to that, but I mean, I know the construction side of it, just not the management side. So yeah, looking to uh, maybe take one of my folks' properties and then do a new build on it kind of deal. So we'll see, see how that goes. Amen. It's ambitious, but... I, I like aiming high and, you know, if you aim really high and then fall a little short, you're maybe further ahead than if you didn't aim that high. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. What, um, are you open to kind of just really focus on St. John or are you open to expand to like all the other big cities or what, um, what are your thoughts there? I, I think staying local is a, is a good idea because I understand it really well, but I mean, like yourself, I have referral partners in different cities, so it, you know, it's not that I can't help somebody if they want to look in a different city because I've got guys like yourself in Fredericton, you know, somebody I can refer to that I trust. So yeah, I think I'll stick in St. John myself because that's where all my friends and family are, but just get a lot larger, a lot faster, trying up the, you know, the transaction volume as well. But I do like offering really quality service to the people that I deal with, yeah. making sure they're well taken care of. So yeah. even if I did have a team someday or whatever else the case might be, 
I want to ensure that those people are well looked after. So yeah. that's going to be it is just building kind of a commercially focused group of guys or gals that can, uh, can help them out. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important. Like for people yeah. listening that think like, you know, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. You really want to get knowledgeable and, and learn, um, pick a niche and learn and get good at what, what you know. And like for you, it's like St. John multifamily real estate. And it just makes sense. Like I, even like in Fredericton, like I feel like I know Fredericton very well, but even like I'll go to like a smaller, you know, sub district or sub neighborhood in Fredericton. And I like, I feel like I know nothing about just that little I know the neighborhood in yeah. Fredericton. I'm like, oh man, I still got a lot to learn about Fredericton, but yeah, you know, we're always improving. right? Yeah. Always improving, always learning more and more and just always kind of doing continual education and, and learning and, and networking and stuff to yeah, and I would say like a, just as like a sort of why I'm doing what I'm doing, mm. my whole goal is to, you know, enable investors to be able to make a living for themselves, to improve their lives. And like, I, I'm sure people know that like, if you invest properly, it can be passive income, right? Yeah. So helping people create passive income that's going to benefit their life. And that's, that's part of my goal or part of like the why behind what, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and then just bringing attention to New Brunswick in general. I don't like that sort of stigma that New Brunswick has that, uh, it's a have not province. Yeah. We've got so much to offer here. So much natural beauty and, you know, business opportunity people need to know about us. So yeah, yep. that's why I'm traveling outside of the province sometimes to do it just like yep. yourself. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Well, man, Murray, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming all this Thank way and, me, uh, yeah. yeah. And then being on. So, okay. So if you want to, uh, chat with Murray, if you want to get into some multifamily real estate investing here in St. John, New Brunswick, specifically, Murray's your guy. So Murray, how can they get uh, get in touch with you? What's your number? And if, if you want to give it out, your number and your email. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my phone number is 506-645-0043. Right on. Uh, Murray at Exit SJ is my uh, my email there. Yep. Or you can find me on Facebook, Murray at Exit Realty Specialists. Awesome. Awesome. Is uh, that'd be great. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to learn more from Murray, um, you can definitely get in touch with him. If you want to, if you have any questions for me, just go to my website, gosman.ca and get in touch there and uh, happy to answer any questions. Or if you have any particular topics that you want to talk about um, on the show, we are happy to uh, accommodate you and, and take any suggestions. So it's been, uh, it's been awesome having you here, Murray. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks. Thanks again for coming on, man. And we'll be, we'll be chatting soon. So thanks a lot. We'll see you later. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have any questions or want to learn more, feel free to check out my website at gosman.ca. Wherever you're listening from, leave me a five-star review and let me know what you'd like to see in future episodes. Also, if you're a buyer or a seller and looking for some guidance in this ever-changing real estate market, I want to work with you. So get in touch today through my website at gosman.ca or you can search Makai Gosman Realtor on Google and get connected with me through any of my social media platforms. Thanks so much. We'll catch you on the next episode.